0: Are you looking to optimize your fertility, but not sure you can trust the advice you're reading in fertility Facebook groups? The process of getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and having a healthy baby is complicated, and there are many places where this process can go awry. But to a functional fertility practitioner, these can actually be clues as to what the underlying issues affecting your fertility actually are. In this episode, I'm talking to a prominent fertility expert, Dr. Jacqueline Chasse-Smeaton, who is a licensed naturopathic physician dedicated to helping couples conceive naturally. Her practice, Hello Fertility, is dedicated to fertility, sexual health, and family wellness. Dr. Chasse Smeaton is a graduate of Bastyr University, an avid writer, and an international speaker who has taught thousands of doctors her methods. In addition to doctor, Dr. Smeaton's proudest role is that of mother to a bustling household of children and slobbering dogs. We cover a lot in this episode, from nutrition to environmental toxins to oxidative stress and mitochondria. I think you'll be surprised to learn some factors that may be affecting your fertility and your partner's fertility that may have never occurred to you. Let's dive in. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS, hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian. And I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Chassie Smeaton. I am so glad you're here to talk with me today. Uh, Why don't you tell the audience
1: a little about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. And thank you for having me today. I'm excited to get this time to chat with you. I feel like we end up having a lot to chat about. Um, so like you said, my name is Dr. Jacqueline Chassie-Smeaton. I'm a naturopathic physician and um, I've been doing fertility work for about 15 years. Started out in family practice and moved into women's health and reproductive health and infertility, which is really all that I do now. Um, I've been working with couples for a long time using naturopathic and functional medicine to really get to the root of what's happening for couples that are struggling to conceive and help them overcome it. And so it's a lot of fun. On top of that, I live just outside of Boston. I have a busy house, five kids, two dogs, and um, try to fit in as much self-care as I can in the meantime. And you recently went through some renovation work too, right? Lots
0: of lots of renos on that new house. <laughs> we
1: did. Yeah. We bought a house in May of 2020. I'm sorry, March of 2020, like literally the day that COVID hit was the day we closed and the school shut down. And we had, you know, five kids and two dogs and two grown-ups in a three-bedroom, <laughs> inadequate house that needed to be torn down. But yeah, we finally rebuilt and we moved in about a year ago and we're really enjoying it.
0: I know. It looks so beautiful. I'm like so hooked on other people's reno stories and pictures and, you know, it's kind of scary and filled with dread about the reno's I have to do, but it's also exciting and, you know, helps give you ideas. And I feel like I'm speaking to a celebrity. I don't know if the general public um, is aware (laughs) of, what a prominent um, fertility specialist you are, um, you know, speaking engagements and published works and all of that. So um, definitely my dietitian audience will will know who you are and my functional medicine people will know who you are. So I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise with us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up getting into women's health and fertility?
1: Absolutely. So, I mean, like most of us, it started with a personal experience. Um, When I was a teenager, I never got my period. So I had what we call primary amenorrhea. And um, when I was about 16 or 17, my mom sent me in to see her nurse practitioner, kind of OB-GYN, who kind of didn't, uh, you know, a physical exam, my first pap smear, you know, talked to me a little bit about what was going on and said, okay, well, let's get you on the birth control pill and that'll get you cycling. And so my first question was, well, what about when I want to have kids? She said, well, don't worry. We have other drugs that'll work for that. And it was such a shocker to me. And that was really, I'd always loved science, but it was in that moment that I knew I wanted to go into medicine because, you know, not only was the treatment inadequate, but just the approach. It was such a shock to me that the solution to, you know, helping a girl, a healthy girl who had you know, one of the most fundamental cycles of life not working was let's put you on a drug and kind of mask that with external hormones. And then, you know, not think about why is this happening? How can we restore it? You know, there was nothing about why is it happening. and And I walked away, even at, you know, as a teenager, thinking, this is crazy. You know there has to be a better way. Um and that really led me down the path of wanting to do women's health and hormones. and And really, when I went to med school, it's shocking how little, um, options there are when it comes to OB-GYN, there's really not many options. And I think, you know, if you're a listener and you're a woman and you've gone in with any kind of complaint to your ob I bet 90% of you were offered a birth control pill for that acne birth control pill, depression, birth control pill, irregular cycle birth control pill. Um, and it's just, there's so much else out there in the lifestyle, herbal medicine and nutrition approaches that can actually fix the problem. And so there's just such a big need in that area, um, that it gets me excited because it's transformative for, for couples, if they're trying to conceive and for women, if they have any kind of struggle going on.
0: Yeah. I think it's so insightful that you recognized even at that young age, that the pill wasn't a solution. Um, you know, I, I definitely was in the camp of being told at 18, you know, here, this'll, this'll solve your heavy period problem. Um, you know, didn't really know any better. And I hear all sorts of stories like that, you know, definitely the one, the pill will regulate your cycle or, you know, here, this one is best for acne. Let's give you this one. Um, and I also think it's pretty callous how many physicians feel so comfortable just telling a teen girl, well, you may never have kids or you may never be able to get pregnant. I hear that from my PCOS clients all the time that they were told that as a teen. Um, I do think it's getting a little better because now the teens are, they have moms our age, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. who are looking out for them and advocating for them and so you know they are
1: looking for other options um and there are other options out there absolutely and thank goodness for that and like the birth control pill is not all bad you know it was a transformative thing for women's rights to have access to birth control and be able to elect that and um you know so there it can have a place and a purpose but it's not um you know the hammer that hits all nails yeah
0: absolutely absolutely so, on your uh, website and in your programs, you talk a lot about what you
1: call the foundations of fertility. What what are those to you? Well, there are some foundational behaviors that have to be in place, or optimally are in place, in order for men and women to really flourish when it comes to fertility. The first is nutrition. So, I mean, I'm speaking to the choir here, and you could teach a lot okay. more about this um, with as a dietitian, but. Having a wide range of colors, of probiotic sources, of fibers, of nutrients, of phytochemicals, all of those things actually serve as signaling within our body. And it helps with hormone balance. It helps with cell quality. It helps keep inflammation down. And believe it or not, it directly acts on one or two of the biggest root causes for fertility struggles. Having Solid nutrition is really, really critical. Um, The second would be the environment. So this is one of the things that is causing the most problems with fertility is exposure to contaminants in the environment. And so living what we would call like a low tox lifestyle, it's kind of impossible to have a no tox lifestyle, um, but definitely a low tox lifestyle as much as possible can make a really big difference. The third is what I call rest and digest. Okay. So this is where sleep comes in, keeping a low stress environment comes in. And of course, digestion, which is so important for you to not only um, absorb all of the nutrients that you're trying to get, but also um, in order to keep inflammation low and to help, um, you know, maintain a good microbiome. There's so many different implications of digestion when it comes to fertility. And then finally it's movement and connection. So, you know, I don't push a specific kind of exercise, but definitely keeping moving is really important. Actually, when you walk and you move your legs, it increases blood flow to your pelvis. And it kind of like jiggles around your pelvic organs, which helps a lot, believe it or not. Um, with keeping blood flow going in that area and keeping your reproductive organs functioning properly. And then connection with your partner. You know, that's something else we work on a lot in our clinic because fertility particularly can be so stressful. And we want to make sure that you guys are in it as a team. Um, Both partners know that they're partially responsible for success and doing what they can to really help there. Yeah. I always,
0: you know, a lot of dietitians will talk about how doctors don't have any education in nutrition. And so don't be surprised when they just hand you a list of foods to eat or don't eat. Um, But that's not the case with naturopathic doctors. Um, You have extensive uh, education in nutrition as well. So uh, definitely if you're looking for a doctor who actually knows what they're talking about when it comes to nutrition, uh, naturopaths are the way to go. Um, I find that with the environment stuff, um, it can get really overwhelming, you know, and I think we get so, especially the type, type A types, um, who are going through fertility struggles and really trying to control every aspect that they possibly can. Um, but trying to be perfect by eliminating every toxin in your world, can
1: actually add stress to
0: the situation, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, so you have to kind of start small with the things that you can control. You know, for example, you can't control air pollution. I mean, you could get a filter inside your house or something like that. But like, you know, you can't lessen the exposure to that when you're outside. But you can, when you're shopping for food, choose things that are stored in glass rather than plastic. You know, salsa would be an example of that pick a glass jar over a plastic jar. And, um, you know, when I talk to my patients, I don't, I tell them they don't have to go throw everything away, just make it incremental. And when you replace your shampoo, replace it with a better choice. Um, or, you know, think about the things you can do right away. There's a couple things I recommend people jump on right away. The first is to get a water filter. Um, so water, whether you're on a city water supply or on a well most people's water is contaminated with fertility, harming chemicals and drugs, believe it or not. Um, in some cities there's even measurable hormones from birth control. Remember when anytime we put anything in our own body, we urinate out metabolites and that urine eventually joins the water supply after being obviously filtered and cleaned and stuff like that by the earth and by our systems. Um, but we've measured hormones in New York city's water supply, like measurable amounts and hormones act in a whisper. So teeny tiny amounts can have an impact on people. Um, So get a water filter, even if it's just a charcoal filter, like a Brita or a pure system that you can attach to your kitchen sink and then start to use it for your cooking, for your drinking, you know, these small things can make a really big difference over time.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was in New York city and the antidepressant level in the New York city water was almost high (laughs) enough to have a clinical impact,
1: right? Yeah. It's crazy. It's totally crazy.
0: Yeah. And I, I know recently they've been using water supply to measure, uh, the rate of COVID infection too, because that shows up in the water supply
1: as well. Um, yeah, you're going to filter your water regardless. <laughs> um, I don't know. Well, the other simple fix that I like for people is related to like Wi Fi and all of the kind of electrical energies that were around. So, um, cell phones and Wi Fi systems, like we do know because there's studies in men that it impacts sperm quality, right? And so the data is early, um, but as we get stronger and stronger Wi Fi, And, you know, cell phone, you know, 5G and all this stuff, it does have negative cellular impacts. So it's just about being smart about it. I'm not saying don't have a cell phone. But what I am saying is don't keep it in your room next to your bed when you're sleeping. That way you get an eight hour break where it's in the other room or put it in airplane mode if you do have it in your room. Um, or one of the best things you can do is remember those old school wall plug timers that you'd use for your Christmas lights as a kid. You can get those and plug them into your router and have your router automatically power off and automatically power on. Um, And in fact, they make devices that do this now that are a little bit more sophisticated and can be controlled with your phone. Um, But, you know, if you, you could have your internet turn off at 10 p.m. and on at 6 a.m. And then you have all those hours where it's not you know, moving through your house. So there are some really nice solutions out there that are just easy. You do one thing and then it kind of takes care of itself. Um, but can have all these things like they're all drops in the bucket, but the more drops you can eliminate, the better off.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, ladies, don't let your male partners carry their phones in their front jeans pocket right near. Yes the boys, you know, um, I, I do encourage people to, to get as many electronics out of their bedroom at night as possible too, just because of the blue light and
1: the Mm -hmm. impact
0: on sleep and weight and the inflammation. So, um,
1: yeah. And relationships.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. That, that as well. Um, it's so important that you talk about, uh, connection as, as integral to optimal fertility to, um, you know, and that's not just, not just with your, your partner, who you're going through it with, but having a support system of people who know what you're going through, having, um, other, you know, medical professionals who actually listen to you and, you know, you can talk to and be open with um, such an important thing that not a lot of people talk about, I don't think.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of our, one of my mentors, um, Dr. Bill Mitchell, who was one of the founders of Bastyr University, he's passed away, but he really was big on teaching us to remember to prescribe people as medicine. And that is such an impactful thing that I've taken with me Um, into my practice, you know, it might be going to a yoga class. It might be making sure that, you know, you have a great friend support that allows you to be yourself. Sometimes it doesn't take a large number of connections. They just have to be high quality. So absolutely. You know, I think people have to be a really big part of the medicine that we deliver.
0: Oh yeah. I have like two friends, but they're both in my pocket at all all times. You know, it's like, like I know they're there and I can always reach out to them. Um, I love that prescribed people as medicine. Mm -hmm. I love when I'm prescribing things that are, are not, uh, food or lifestyle. Um, you remember during early on, um, in COVID, some of my, my single clients were really having trouble, um, you know, being lonely and, and all of that. And I, I told one of my clients to go buy herself a nice massage oil or a fun little toy and treat herself to a night of touch therapy,
1: basically. Mm Yep. Yeah. Yeah, It's so important. All of those different aspects of our Sexuality, both alone and with partners, and our friendships—all of those things make a really big difference in our overall health.
0: Well, oxytocin is my favorite hormone. So, absolutely, <laughs> that's how you get it. People don't know oxytocin yeah, is the
1: oxy love. <laughs> oxytocin
0: is the direct opposite of cortisol, um, and we make it. You know, primarily um, it's to promote the bond between a breastfeeding mother and infant, but we also make it after orgasm. We make it after hugging someone. We make it after petting our dogs. And I think the- The coolest yeah. research is that the dogs also make oxytocin when we're petting the dogs. So it's like, they really are in love with us. So mm-hmm. my favorite hormone, um, do what you can to increase your oxytocin. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So some, some of the, uh, obviously there are a lot of factors that can affect fertility, Um, can you talk about some of the more common factors
1: that you see in your practice and what you work with? Definitely. So, I mean, I think if we had to summarize or simplify fertility, um, most of the problems kind of fall into three categories. One of them is hormone imbalances. This would be things like cycle irregularity, endometriosis, that kind of hits actually two of the categories I'm going to talk about, um, you know, and maybe not ovulating, not making enough cervical mucus, all of those things, um, related to hormone imbalance. The second is cell quality, and that would be things like sperm quality and egg health, or what we also call ovarian reserve. And then the third would be the health of the uterus and like a healthy site for implantation. So most of the problems related to fertility hit one or more of those areas. Um, And then I think the last one would be that unexplained infertility category, which if you've had that diagnosis before, you know, how frustrating that can be. Um, You know, it's not that there's nothing wrong. It's just that we don't have the tools to measure it yet, or conventional medicine doesn't have the tools to measure it yet. Um, But that's an area where naturopathic and functional medicine really shines. Because when we look at the underlying factors that drive health of all of those areas, we can find what's wrong oftentimes and fix it. And, you know, I talk about this a lot on like on social media and stuff, but, you know, the term infertility, we're kind of misusing that term because the majority of people who struggle with quote unquote infertility you're actually fertile. You're just sub fertile. It's not optimal right now, Um, but you're not infertile infertile implies that you can't get pregnant and really won't get pregnant. But, you know, I like to kind of change the language around that as well, because oftentimes it's really just figuring out what, how we can move you to optimal fertility, really both partners um, to be able to help you conceive.
0: Yeah. I definitely get mad when I see that you know, used around PCOS because it's really not infertility. It's once we get you ovulating, there are very few barriers to getting pregnant and having a successful pregnancy. Um, I do find a little more difficulty with the infertility patients who who fall into the um, not necessarily unexplained, but like something's gone awry. So they have, you know, premature ovarian insufficiency or, you know, uh, low early menopause sort of situations. Um, Is there anything you can do with, I, I find those the most difficult patients to actually achieve a successful pregnancy in.
1: Yeah. And just one note about women with PCOS, I know that's a big part of your listening base. Mm -hmm. You might have difficulty finding ovulation, but did you know that the research shows that women with PCOS actually can conceive later in life compared to women who don't have PCOS? Um, The higher level of androgens actually protect follicles. And so there is actually typically once you're ovulating, follicular quality is very good. um, Even later on into life, It's, it's kind of a cool thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, Um, you see that for sure with IVF, with the sheer number of fertilized eggs they're able to get or eggs retrieved. And then, you know, the quality tends to be, you know, it depends on the person. I'm not going to make a generalization and say the quality is always good, but sheer numbers wise, they get a ton of eggs. I mean, obviously that has its downside too, because then you're more at risk for ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, but you know, Number of eggs is not the
1: problem. Definitely. Um, but getting back to your question for women with have premature ovarian insufficiency, there is actually a lot that can be done. And that's an area, particularly in women who are like under 35. That's where I'd really consider it to be Mm -hmm. truly premature. Um, this is where a lot of the additional testing can kind of point to what underlying factors are going on. And then we hit heavy in those areas. Let's say it's oxidative stress. We would really flood your body with antioxidants to push that to improve. Um, the one caveat to that, which I think is important to know, is that, and this is partly because like so many women take it on with this sense of blame for you know fertility challenges. However, your follicles and your ovaries were all developed when you were in your mother's womb. And so if you grew up in a womb that was not optimized, maybe your mom smoked drank alcohol, was exposed to environmental toxins herself, which I think our generation is being hit particularly hard by, because if you're a child of like the seventies in particular, that was our worst decade for environmental toxicity. That's when they used to dump sewage and, you know, manufacturing chemicals into rivers until the early eighties, when we realized this probably isn't great. You know, fish are dying and stuff. We should stop this and make laws to stop this. It's gotten better, but we were the ones who were in those uteruses that were exposed to that. So um, that could, can affect ovarian health in us as adults and can affect our follicular health as adults. And so there is an element that is prenatal from when you were in the womb um, that kind of predisposes us for difficulty. And so I think that's important to think about because it's not that you're not eating enough kale or you, I mean, you, I've seen women who literally live the perfect lifestyle where I'm like, I don't know what I can recommend to you for your lifestyle. Cause it's like 10 times better than my own. And you're doing all the things and you're still not seeing it move. Sometimes that's because your epigenetics and your genetics are, you know, predisposed to have some difficulty.
0: Yeah. I've seen research, you know, with the, uh, in utero exposure, um, epigenetic changes two to four, um, generations out. Um, and interestingly, even
1: more generations when it's epigenetic changes to sperm.
0: Um, mm,
1: yeah, seven I've seen, um, studies looking at, and that's in animals, of course, we don't have seven generations of data in humans yet, but it's impactful.
0: I just saw when I can't remember what the chemical was, but I believe it was 40 generations out of, um, sperm. There were, there were changes. Um, don't remember what the chemical was literally just saw that the other day. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's like, you know, toxic burden obviously. And you talked about the seventies, um, definitely grew up around smoking and, what I, I'm even not even really sure what year they told women to
1: stop drinking alcohol when they were pregnant. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I'm guessing it was probably like the 80s, mid early to mid 80s.
0: Yeah. And then we had all the, you know, the advent of the microwave in every home and microwave plastics, the
1: mm-hmm. Tupperware parties, you know. Oh, Tupperware. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we use those. My mom still has the bowls I ate cereal out of as a kid. I and mean, these like plastic Tupperware bowls that are mustard yellow and avocado green that I can't get her to get rid of. But, um, you know, all of those, when those early plastics probably had far more leaching than they do today.
0: Oh, I remember the little plastic cups of Chef Boy RD that you would put in the microwave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes yeah. me shudder now, but. Oh. Hey there, so before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are, in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. Toxic burden is is one thing. Um, you mentioned oxidative stress too. Um you know, what are, what are you seeing there with its relation to fertility and how would someone even know if
1: they have an oxidative stress issue? That's a great question. So this is the most common root cause that I see come up for men and women, um, with I've done like extensive testing on, you know, hundreds or thousands of couples at this point, And almost all of the time, oxidative stress is their biggest problem. Uh, there's the reason for that is sometimes poor nutrition. Like I, you know, I can kind of predict who's going to have high levels of oxidative stress based upon what they tell me they eat. Um, So the standard American diet, which is not loaded with fresh whole foods protects us because it has a lot of antioxidants in it. But if you're eating like a typical American diet, you're not getting a lot of antioxidants. And if you're still good about eating fruits and vegetables, most of us eat the same ones all the time. Um, And so it's really diversity that's critical. Um, But what I typically see here is like women with low progesterone almost always have high levels of oxidative stress. That's something I look at. Um, If you suffer from allergies, migraine headaches, um, skin rashes, you know, kind of histamine type of reactions, irritable skin. There's so many different signs that when people tell me, oh, here's all the other little things that are probably unrelated to my fertility, but are also going on with me, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, probably high levels of oxidative stress. Um, and so there's a couple ways to test for that. It's all through functional medicine testing. Um, one is on the Dutch test. There is a marker called eight O H D G um, which is kind of one of the additional kind of bonus measures that they measure it's in your urine. And that can tell you about levels of oxidative stress, but it's not quite as sensitive. Um, so I've found that when I'm running the Dutch and another test, which is oxidative stress specific, Oftentimes the 80 will be normal, but everything else will be out of range. Um, and so the other test I like to run is by Genova. It's called the NutraVal. Um, there's also one called the Metabolomics, which is very similar. It just doesn't use blood. Um, it uses urine only. So if you're doing a home collection and don't want to draw blood, that's another great alternative. Um, but it measures three or four different markers. The, the biggest one I look at is the 80 lipid peroxidases, which is another marker for damage to your fat. Um, and that's one of the areas that oxidative stress plus fat, you know, it ends up causing damage to that fat. Um, and then the third thing we look at is your glutathione levels. Mm-hmm. And so glutathione is one of our master antioxidants and we make it, um, and then some of us make it better than others. And so that can be protective if you have enough around.
0: I love glutathione. It's one of my, my favorites. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, the, the interesting thing is oxidative stress happens, not just from exposure to toxins or a poor diet, but it's, it's just a natural, um, response to metabolism from exercise and digesting our food. Um, so really it's a matter of having enough antioxidants on board to counteract that oxidative stress, but I assume when you're seeing high levels of oxidative stress, you're also seeing things like high levels of inflammation, um, nutrient deficiencies, all of those things that go along with that inflammatory
1: diet and lifestyle pattern. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, we see all of those things tied together. Um, and so that's why I look at like what other symptoms are cropping up because oftentimes, you know, those same problems. Like if you aren't digesting food, well, you're going to create more oxidative stress, but you're right. Oxidative stress is an essential part of our body's functioning, just like inflammation is when it's in balance. In fact, guess what triggers ovulation oxidative stress, right? Um, guess what makes sperm mobile oxidative stress. So you want to have enough around. In fact, there's some interesting studies on turmeric, which is a great antioxidant, and anti-inflammatory, like in Petri dishes, where they measured sperm's motility and found that when they add a little bit of turmeric, the sperm motility improves, but if they keep adding more and more and more, they completely stop swimming because sperm need oxidative stress to swim and the turmeric eventually will quench all of it and they can't function anymore. Um, So oxidative stress is not always a bad thing. It's just that most of us are excessive in how much we have.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because there's a similar finding with turmeric and estrogen detoxification where there's a sweet spot with dosing, um, where a lower dose supports, um, estrogen metabolism, but a higher dose shuts down the enzymes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's not something that we have to worry about physiologic, like for ourselves personally, because, the doses that are used in those kinds of studies could not be achieved through consuming it, even a supplement form. Um, in fact, I I remember when that turmeric study first came out, I reached out to a friend of mine, Mark Blumenthal, who's this, like, I think he's now in his seventies. He's this like completely amazing herbalist. And I said, Mark, you know, I just saw this data. What do you think about this? Like, should I be not recommending turmeric to people who are trying to conceive? And he just responded, Jacqueline have you ever been to India? (laughs) Meaning that there's no population issue in India and turmeric is like a staple food there. And and it is, it's like the, what they say, the dose makes the poison, right? So if you'd have too much of a good thing, it can become a bad thing. But for the most part, we should be bathing ourselves in all these different antioxidants.
0: Yeah. Not to get too far off track, but this always blows people's minds when I tell them that it's not cholesterol, that Actually, increases um, heart disease risk. It's the combination of cholesterol, um, the cholesterol levels, but it's the oxidative stress and inflammation that actually leads to heart disease. Um, you know, I think a lot of people missed the you know news that cholesterol is no longer considered a nutrient of concern. So, um, you know, again, if you were raised in the '80s, it may be something that was brainwashed into you that a low fat, low cholesterol diet is best for health, but that's just not the case. It doesn't bear out in
1: research. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like the wrong fats plus oxidative stress, or when it comes to fertility, you know, with oxidative stress, it kind of has this like cousin called carbonyl stress. Have you talked about carbonyl stress Mm -hmm. on your podcast? Not at all. Okay. So carbonyl stress is what you get when you mix oxidative stress with high blood sugar. Mm -hmm. or a high sugar environment. So, um, if anyone has ever, is anyone like a grilling fan out there? Um, you know, that if you throw some meat on the grill, you know, it'll start to like brown and stuff a little bit, but if you slather it in barbecue sauce and then put it on the grill at a high temperature, what happens that barbecue sauce, like becomes like charcoal, like coating the meat in that char. And what that is, is it's the sugar in the sauce affecting the proteins that are in the meat. And then when you add heat, which causes oxidative stress, all these changes to the proteins, it's a permanent change to that protein. And obviously, like you can see, it's very damaged, right? The same same thing happens to us internally. Um, We really studied this in a diabetes model because people with type 2 diabetes tend to have a lot of things like nerve damage. Um, and that is primarily caused by carbonyl stress, which is high oxidative stress plus high blood sugar. And that damage is permanent. It's not reversible. So you have to wait until your body can kind of clean out those cells are not repairable. And we do know that um, there are there is carbonyl stress that occurs to ovarian cells and to testicular cells. And so this would be from chronic exposure to high blood sugar and high oxidative stress, which unfortunately almost always go together anyway. Um, so this is why it's so important to be focused on glycemic control and metabolic health when you're trying to conceive too.
0: Yeah. Not just for PCOS blood sugar balance is important mm-hmm. for everybody. I always picture it like the little tiny greens of sugar being sharp. Um, and kind of scraping the blood vessels as they're going by. And that's what allows the damage and the plaques to form and things like that. I have a very vivid image of little grains of sugar scraping through your blood vessels. It's <laughs> Probably not accurate at all, but that's my it's memorable my vision yeah. of what of what's going on in there. Um, I'm trying to think did we did we miss anything we wanted to talk about? Um, omega three is that's another one that's pretty pretty hard to find in the American diet. Typically, if someone doesn't live on the coast or like
1: seafood, Mm um, my patients struggle with that nutritionally because many don't like fish or even people who are motivated to eat fish, it feels intimidating to know what fish to eat and to find the right fish. Um, so that is an area that like almost all of my patients supplement and If you're taking an omega-3, like if you're trying to conceive, I recommend two grams per day for both partners of EPA plus DHA. So this is one where when you read the label, um, you'll see like oftentimes total omega-3, like the classic soft gel will say total omega-3 is one gram or 1000 milligrams, but you have to read below that to the EPA and the DHA. For inexpensive products, you might only have like anywhere from 50 to 300 milligrams total in a soft gel of EPA plus DHA, um, which is why they're so dang cheap. Right. So when you go to Costco and you buy that like humongous value thing, like that's fine. You can get enough from that. You know, let's put aside any potential quality issues or rancidity, but um, you have to take like six soft gels a day. So if you want to take six fish oils, because you think you're saving money, have at it. But I like to recommend a more concentrated one. So you're getting like about one gram of EPA plus DHA in one soft gel. So you're taking just two a day or use a liquid. Liquids are great too. Um, And the other thing is if you are eating like sardines, if you're willing to try that, um, or even chunk light tuna, which is lower in mercury, but still has some omega-3s in it, canned salmon, there are some good options available. And like um, a sockeye salmon filet, has about like three to four grams of fish oil. So if you ate that, that would be enough for a couple of days for your body. You know, you could skip your supplements those two days that you're gonna be eating the fish. So you can kind of, you know, work around your diet, but it can be tough to get enough clean fish in your diet to get enough omega-3s.
0: Yeah. I always tell people the same thing. It's like, you can skip your fish oil on the days you actually eat fish. And I will say I'm a dietitian and, um, I will eat sardines. I find, um, it's one of those things that's like, okay, I'm doing this cause it's good for me, but I'm not exactly like craving sardines. It's not like, Oh, I really want to eat sardines today. I will say Alton Brown has a great sardine and mashed avocado on sourdough toast. Recipe that's like sounds good the only way. But even so, like if I open the can and the heads are still on, like that's a problem. Like yeah, can't do that. (laughs) So
1: the way if you're if you're just trying to introduce yourself to sardines because it's nutritional, but you've like never had them or the thought of them grosses you out. The way that I recommend doing it or like sneaking it to your family members and loved ones is to do like a classic tuna salad. Um, And use one can of tuna and one can of sardines. So buy boneless, skinless sardines so that you don't have bones. You don't have, you know, a whole fish when you open up the can. They're just kind of fillets. And you dump the sardines in with the tuna, add the mayo and the onion or the celery, whatever you like, mash it up. I like a little dill pickle relish in mine. Mash it up and put it on a sandwich. And like, literally, I have some of the world's pickiest children and they have no idea that they're eating sardines.
0: That's awesome. I bet that would work too. I'm, I'm a big fan of what I call tuna bolognese, which is, um, I buy the tuna in oil and I just stir, stir it into a tomato sauce and do that on pasta. But mm-hmm. if you yeah. did that, like almost like a puttanesca with some olives and you feel good. You made the sardines in there, that could work too. Definitely. Good, good tip for sure. Um, <laughs> I also think, um, you know, quality really matters. And there are some supplements where it's whatever, like take the drugstore mm-hmm. one. It doesn't matter. Um, fish oil is one that you really have to pay attention to the quality. And also, you know, if you're, if you're someone who has tried fish oil in the past and you had the side effect of fish burps, which is exactly what it sounds like, um, it was probably related to the quality of the fish oil that you bought, because that is
1: almost non-existent with a higher quality brand. Right. If you open the jar and it smells fishy, it's probably not the best product. Yeah. Grill I- krill just stinks. There's no way <laughs> getting around it, but with fish oil, you know, it shouldn't be too fishy or it shouldn't smell off or like un- unappetizing.
0: I'm going to share something on air I probably shouldn't share, but I'm sure you also get a lot of samples. I get a lot of samples sent to my house and I got a a fish oil um, sent to my house recently and it was in capsules, like not gel caps, not sealed gel caps. It was capsules. And like one of them had leaked um, and I literally, like, I'll take, you know, if someone sends me things for free, I'll take them, I'll try them. Uh, I literally couldn't get it down. I kept gagging. Just it was so overwhelming. Um, and uh, I was like, I could never recommend this to people. Cause it's, you know, I'm going to stick with my brands that I've been mm-hmm. recommending for years and, uh, yeah. Um, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs> yeah, little little hint. If you ever see me share something in my stories where I'm thanking a brand for sending me something and then I'm never ever talking about it again, that's why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now I'm gonna have to go back in your stories and see what it was. <laughs> I know you could
0: do some detective work. Yeah. Um so One of the things that you talk about as well, um, you know, I know you're doing a lot of functional testing for your patients and their partners
1: as well. Can you talk about some of the the functional tests that you might look at? Sure. So the NutraVal is one that I love when we're looking at like, what's the underlying cause? I mentioned that one earlier Mm -hmm. because it actually measures oxidative stress, omega-3s. It measures a number of nutrients to look for deficiency, it tells you whether you likely have issues with toxicity, with uh, microbiome and digestive imbalance, and with mitochondrial dysfunction, which mitochondria are energy powerhouses of our cells. And testes and ovaries are like incredibly dependent on on um, energy, so they're very important. So it looks at like almost all of the underlying mechanisms. So that I love. Um, I also do a lot of Dutch testing. And then I do a lot of additional testing, like digestive testing or toxicity testing or food allergy testing, depending upon what is coming up for people um, or kind of how they present. But I think from a fertility, straight fertility root cause perspective, the Dutch and the NutriVal are probably my two go-tos that I use most commonly.
0: Yeah. They really kind of cover almost everything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I don't look at, and it's because of my scope of practice and what I feel comfortable with is I don't feel comfortable doing toxicity testing because mm-hmm. the solution if there is a problem is not diet and supplements. It's right. you know, chelation therapy. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's one thing that that I'm not doing. Do you see that being a root cause
1: of a lot of fertility issues? Yeah. Really frequently. Um, and again, again, it's really part of that like sub fertility picture. So there are times where doing a full detox protocol and chelation and things like that, um, aren't necessary. We just provide you with we shifting to more of a low tox lifestyle and then supporting your body's elimination and kind of giving it time, um, which is what most of my couples want to do unless things are really severe, because if you decide to do a real detoxification, you actually have to stop trying to conceive because it can be harmful to the child to be exposed to something like mercury or lead or whatever you might be detoxifying out. So, um, you have to be willing to take a pause and actually use contraceptive or barrier method or something while we're doing that. So usually it's a bit more gentle, um, but it does come up.
0: Yeah. yeah and you know, Oftentimes when people are reaching out to a practitioner to uncover some of these root causes, they've already been trying for a while, there may be, you know, time, uh, they're up against the clock in terms of age, um, things like that. So there may not be time to undertake a full detox protocol, uh, while actively trying to conceive, um, but yes, we can support the body's natural detoxification systems in a much more gentle way for sure. Um, the other one that, that I sometimes hear talked about is the things like stealth infections or hidden infections and mold, um, you know, like gingivitis is one that people might not think actually impacts fertility, but, but it does. Is that because of the systemic inflammation
1: Yeah. When you have a chronic infection, it causes a lot of oxidative stress and a lot of inflammation. And so having hidden infections or mold toxicity or any kind of allergic type response is immune stimulating. Um, the other big area where it impacts is actually implantation because the immune balance in the uterus is critical. So we haven't talked as much about that, but, um, A lot of couples, we see this with IVF because we have enough information to know where the process isn't working. And we I see couples who make really great embryos, but then they're not transferring. Um, They're not having successful transfers. And so sometimes we need to step back and say, okay, what's happening in the uterus? And that's when I really start to screen for, you know, is there anything that's causing chronic inflammation in the body um, that we can address to make that environment more um, accepting, you know, to a tissue that's not self right? Because when you're um, having a little embryo implant, it's half the sperm's DNA as well. So that's a really important aspect to care as well. And and something that I'm seeing impacted more and more frequently um, is really having to work on that initial blood flow and the immune system in the uterus to really help it chill out a little bit.
0: Yeah. You mentioned walking as one uh, way you can improve blood flow.
1: Are there other things Mm -hmm. you would recommend for that? Acupuncture is my very favorite. There's really cool studies on acupuncture supporting the time of transfer. Um, so even if you don't go regularly, if you're doing IVF, it's recommended to go like the week surrounding your transfer a few days before, a few days after, and the day of, if you can, a lot of that's related to blood flow. Um, there's other things you can do, like even hot packs or castor oil packs over your abdomen, um, Mayan abdominal massage or other types of abdominal massage techniques But yeah, physical activity is really my favorite. You know, anything that gets you moving, particularly walking, is fantastic, you know, to get blood flow to the pelvis.
0: Yeah, you brought up too about you know implantation being a problem for people who are getting pregnant, um, but it's not it's not implanting and it's not sticking. So you might see something like a chemical pregnancy where you get the positive test, but then your period starts a couple days later. And I think you know, that highlights how many possible places there are for things to go wrong. I think once you start learning about, um, fertility and how people get pregnant and all of the steps it takes, you know, all of the stars have to align perfectly. It has to be a good egg. It has to be good sperm. You have to time intercourse correctly. You know, you have to ovulate, um, on time. Um, the, sperm has to fertilize the egg, then, you know, the fertilized egg has to implant and then it has to stick and develop and the placenta has to grow properly. And it's just, there's so many places that something can go awry that working with someone who, you know, understands all of those different parts of what's happening can help clue you in to
1: where the problem might be, right? Definitely. Yeah. And I completely agree. The more you learn about the reproductive process, the more like blown away you are that anyone can get pregnant because it's like, you know, that's all of the steps that we see as women and as couples, but then there's all the like embryology that happens, all the signaling within the cells that has to go right. And all the immune changes that happen in the uterus to, to basically hide the embryo um, from the immune system. I mean, there's like so much, it's really amazing, Uh, but you're absolutely right. The more we know now we, and the more we know about your cycle and the process and the timing and everything that's happened, we're able to really hone in on like, okay, where exactly is the problem? And with IVF, with couples going through IVF, they might think, Oh, functional medicine isn't really a great option for me because I'm already down this path. But in fact, you skip ahead multiple steps because We can see like, are you making good quality eggs? Yes or no? Okay, check. Are they fertilizing? Yes or no? What's the quality of the embryo? And if you're getting really high graded embryos and then you're not getting a successful transfer, like really, we know the first steps of that process are going okay. We have to think a little bit about later on in that implantation process or hormones after implantation. Like it's so great to get that additional information I mean, if you're trying to conceive on your own, we have to do a little bit more sleuthing through labs and through understanding what your, you know, what your experience is trying to conceive. Um, But we can oftentimes pinpoint that as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the protocol for someone who, you know, is getting great quality eggs, but they're not getting pregnant is going to look entirely different than the protocol for someone who's Getting a lot of eggs, um, but none of them are making it to freeze, or they're not getting um, a lot of eggs at all. They're not getting many eggs at all. Um, so, you know, all of that is just more information that is, you know, clues to how
1: we can best support you. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so definitely when I see couples that come in and they're on, you know, everyone brings their supplement list when I ask and I'm like, well, why are you taking vitamin E? And they're like, well, I read it was good for fertility or I, I know that I read it somewhere, but I can't remember why I started taking it. But when I read it, I thought, oh, this would be really great for me. You know, so one of the things I do on my first treatment plan is actually tell you all the things not to take as well. Um, we do a lot of like honing in. So my supplement plans have three sections. It's like, here's my top priorities for you. Here are the things I need you to discontinue because they're going to hurt your process. And then here's all the things that you're doing that aren't harmful, but aren't a priority. And you can decide what you want to do with these, you know? So there's kind of three different sections to the supplements. And oftentimes we have to cut back um, because what people think they need is not actually what they need, even if it's good for fertility. Yeah. Uh, that looks
0: very similar to what my first session looks like as well. You know, um, oftentimes they're taking things, they don't know why they're taking things. Um, you know, we just kind of have to, to figure out what's the best plan for them. And like you said, prioritize because, you know, you could be taking handfuls of things and maybe they're not the right things for you. Um, all right. I want to know, uh, cause I know what my answer is, but There's a lot of info out there in like fertility Facebook groups and some fertility books um, about what supplements you must take if you are trying to conceive. Do you have any that like really burn you up that people are taking without knowing whether they need it or not?
1: Um, DHEA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Royal jelly is one that I feel like comes up all the time. You know, not that I have a problem with people taking it, but I'm like, you're spending your money on that, you know? Um, But I think DHEA is probably the biggest one that comes to mind for me where, you know, it is one of the most well-researched supplements to improve egg quality, but it only works for the right woman. It only works for women who have low DHEA. Uh, And so there's very rarely testing for that. And so if women, you know, find that they have, they want to improve their egg quality, Um, or if they've had recurrent miscarriages, it can reduce the rate of miscarriage, but only if you're low. Okay. So that's something that you really want to test for to make sure you're not doing more harm than good. That's really the biggest.
0: Yeah. I've, you know, I've also run probably thousands of Dutch tests at this point, and I've seen low DHEA in about maybe five people. And all of them were like in their late thirties or early forties, um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's not, not going to work for someone who, for example, has PCOS and already has high DHEA. Exactly. Yeah. Probably the, the one that, that just has me shaking my head. I don't see a lot of Royal jelly use. I mean, I guess that, that one's expensive. Um, but one that I see a lot and I'm, I'm just scratching my head over it is Geritol.
1: Have you really? heard that one? No, oh, I've never seen anyone taking Geritol.
0: Yeah. People are taking geritol as an iron supplement, like for elderly people. Um, and yeah, a lot of it's being recommended in a lot of the, you know, fertility Facebook groups. And I've had clients ask me about it or taking it and never, never, never would recommend iron without having your iron tested first. Um, you want to make sure you're not overloading your iron, which can actually cause organ Infl- damage, you know? Yeah. Yep. And incredible inflammation even before organ damage.
1: Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad we share DHEA in common. I'm, <laughs> it's it's not a harmless supplement, you know, and and I do see people, you know, sort of struggling with side effects from it, but not recognizing that that's what it's from, you know, if their skin is breaking out or their hair is falling out,
1: um, you know, might be you know- the DHEA. Yeah. Yeah. Agitation is another one, headaches are another one I see a lot. So um it's not, I mean, for many women, they do fine with it. And if they're low, it can, you know, improve energy and they really sense have an increased sense of well-being. But if it gets to be too high, you end up having too many androgens around. So it would be similar symptoms to PCOS.
0: Yeah. So before I let you go, um, I have a lot of dietitian and other practitioner listeners here. So I do want to mention that you do do practitioner training and mentorship programs for practitioners as well. Um, Can you talk about those a little
1: bit? Sure. So I have a about nine and a half hour course plus some bonuses um, called Integrative Approaches to Infertility. Which I've recorded. So it's available for you to just purchase if you're interested in learning more. It is CE approved for naturopathic doctors and acupuncturists, and probably would count for dietitians, although we'd have to apply for that for you. Um, but it really is that functional medicine approach to fertility. And it's a great course. It's intended for people who have base knowledge. Um, it's not really truly introductory but we go deeply into the physiology of why. So I'm normally teaching physicians and I'll just say that like when I teach about the menstrual cycle, most people walk away feeling like, wow, I never, I thought I knew the menstrual cycle, but I didn't really. And now I feel like I do. Um, But we go into everything from preconception care. um, There's an hour on epigenetics and kind of why preconception care is so critical and what it does um, to that child Uh, We do female infertility, male infertility, um, recurrent pregnancy loss and miscarriages. I think that's the bulk of it, all of the basics. So um, really, you'll get that good functional overview of that course. I also have a year-long mentorship, which is actually closed for this year. It'll be filling probably next January, or we're thinking about doing a September start date. Um, but that is for people who really want to go deep in infertility and like convert your practice to a fertility related practice. So that is um, every single month we do. Ton- There's about 75 hours of CE over the course of the year, tons of case studies, live cases. And then we meet every single week and we do clinical and business development. So if you really want to make big moves in the fertility space and want to really grow your practice, this is a nice opportunity.
0: What an amazing opportunity to work with you and learn from you and pick your brain. Um, so I did want to mention that for, for my practitioner followers, um, for my non-practitioner followers, where can they find you
1: and what are the different ways that they can work with you? So my online home is at hellofertility.com and there you'll find information about how to become a patient. And additionally, um, Probably early summer, we're going to be launching our first big program. Um, We do have a couple of like mini programs for patients or clients, but um, this will be a full 12-week course condensed into six that actually guides you through the process that I go through with each of my patients one-on-one in a self-serve way. So it'll talk to you about how to look at the labs you've already had done and find clues as to what might be happening, what types of testing that you might need Um, to really uncover that. And then we talk about all the lifestyle stuff you need for fertility. And then we talk about targeted fixes. So based upon what you learn in your evaluation, what you can do from there in a targeted manner. So that's a great opportunity for people who don't necessarily want to spend the one-on-one time, or maybe you're really well-educated and just need a little bit more guidance.
0: Yeah. I saw that you also do have the option though, with that program to get some testing done with you or also, um, get a second opinion on the labs that they've already had done. And I think that's so important. Um, cause a lot of times, uh, conventional practitioners aren't explaining what your labs mean, or they're not looking at them through that fertility lens. So, um, it's always great to utilize what someone has already had done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and get some information from that. So, um, yeah, it sounds like a really, really great program, Um, great opportunity to work with you. And I will be sharing the link to your website in the show notes so people can click there and get that. Um, One thing that I, I always do is I always close with what's one thing that you would want people struggling with fertility issues to take away
1: from this episode? I think it's a sense of hope. So the majority of the couples that come in to see me, they don't come in because they're preparing for pregnancy a year from now. They're coming because they wanted to be pregnant a year ago. Um, And so they come in feeling like they're at the end of the road. And that's normally how they stumble upon this approach. Um, But I can tell you that even if you think you're at the end of the road, you're really only at the beginning um, as far as what can be learned about what's happening with you. So, you know, generally working together it takes like four to six months for you to find success. It takes some time for these things to have a positive impact, but it's not hopeless. Even people who have had unsuccessful IVF rounds, multiple IVF rounds unsuccessful, oftentimes it's just time to pause, to regroup, um, to kind of fine tune things um, so that you can be more successful the next time around or even fall pregnant. Naturally. I've seen cases that are truly miraculous and thankfully we see them all the time. So, um, I have a lot of confidence in the way that this approach can help couples.
0: Yeah. I always say if I had a dollar for every time someone tells me, you know, on a discovery call that they eat a healthy diet, I would have a private Island by now. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, I'm sure you are eating a very healthy diet, but you know, the definition of healthy is, uh, amorphous. People have different, different definitions of healthy. Um, and your idea of healthy might not necessarily be the version of healthy that is optimal for fertility, you know? Right. Yep. It's absolutely. It's, it's about doing the right things and focusing on the right things for you. Um, So, yeah. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Um, I think we covered a lot of really interesting things and I hope that my audience enjoys it. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks everyone. See you next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced.